Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. This is our homecoming Sunday service. We had a great day in the house of God. We had dinner on the grounds. We had For the King Quartet sing for us. And the preaching was done by Brother Eb Norris, a former pastor of Chesbro Baptist Church. Please enjoy. Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. All right. And together, we're going to praise the Lord. Amen. Well, as uh, Brother Brett said, I am Ed Norse. Um, this was actually my very first pastorate. I uh, served 23 years in law enforcement and fought God for two years, for two years, about quitting law enforcement and going into the ministry. Worst two years of my life. Don't fight God. Just submit to him. Debbie and I, my wife, Debbie and my son, Eddie, are with me this morning. I have two other children, both girls. Um, the oldest is a girl. The youngest is a girl. I got bookends. He was blessed with two sisters on either side. So anyway, um, we came out to Louisiana so that I could go to the seminary in New Orleans. And I will tell you, God does have a sense of humor. We were here a year, and this young lady called Katrina decided to make her presence known. I'm sure you all remember well. God supplies all your needs. Literally, we walked away from over $125,000 income between the two of us. Debbie's a registered nurse. I was a sergeant to zero income. We had no promises. We didn't have a house to live in when we moved here, but God provided. We found a house. After looking at, I don't know how many houses, we moved to Slidell because everybody said, don't move to New Orleans. God put his arms around our home when Katrina hit. We lost a fire, a chimney cap, and one downspout. The house across the street had a tree right down the middle of the roof, you know, Debbie got a job at Auctioner Clinic. Within a year, they had promoted her. She was doing well. I worked a couple odd jobs with Sears Security and things like that. But God showed me right then and there. I have a seven-inch scar on my right knee where I went down a flight of stairs at the Sheriff's Department because I was worried about how I was going to provide for my family. And God told me while I was sitting on the side of a bed with a torn quad muscle and a cracked kneecap, Either you're going to, re- you're going to re- rely on me and trust me, or I can't use you. When God puts you in a place where you can't do anything and you can't move, you pay attention. So I'm going to tell you, as you can tell, I haven't missed any biscuits, haven't starved. We've always had a house, a roof over our head. And you know what? We were in Slidell for about a year, a little over a year, and Junior Ballard called me. I, to this day, don't know how you got my name. But he said, Brother Ed, my name's Junior Ballard, and I'm a deacon at this church called Chesbro Baptist Church, and we need somebody to fill our pulpit on Sunday. I'm like, Chesbro? What is a Chesbro? (laughs) So I came up, and I'll be honest with you, I was 48 years old, but I was a rookie in the pulpit. He said, bring a resume with you, because we're without a pastor. I'm like, oh, no, I need to finish school. That's what I'm thinking. So I came, I brought my resume, 
Sunday night after preaching, Junior and the church, what was here, met, and he says, we'd like to send an invitation for you to come and be our pastor. Well, we drove the back roads coming up here. If y'all know what I'm talking about from Slidell. We drove this highway going back, and I'm like, this is in the woods. But my wife and I prayed about it. God led us here. And I'm going to tell you something. I am so blessed that this was my first pastorate. This is still our home. Even though I've pastored several churches since then, God led me to plant a church where I'm currently at. This is still our home. So I want to thank Brother Brett for the invitation. I want to thank you all as the church for allowing me to come and share with you this morning. And it is my privilege. As you can see, I'm, I'm kind of going high tech a little bit. Um, I use a lot of paper because my sermons aren't a finished product. The first time I printed out and it got to be where I was using more paper than I really wanted to. So I'm going to be preaching out of the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome. So if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. But suppose I was to tell you this morning that I have developed a vaccine for COVID-19. I have friends that are biologists and chemists, and believe it or not, we together have worked on this vaccine. Here it is right here. Okay, but this is the only one of its kind. Now, I could give this back to the chemist, and they could make more of it, and we could cure COVID-19, but this morning, I'm a little selfish, you know what? I'm just going to take it myself. Hmm. There it is. Wow. Now, I know you all know this, isn't it? This is Gatorade. <laughs> but you know what? You have the vaccine for what ails the world. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and some people in the church today are doing exactly what I did with that vaccine. They're taking it for themselves and they're not sharing it. Do we want to be like me was this morning with this and be selfish? Or are we going to take the greatest news that God has ever given us and share it with a broken and lost world? Permit me to ask you a question. Are you a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb, and do you own his cause, or are you embarrassed to speak his name? Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 1, one of my favorite verses, I started a restaurant a year ago this past January and sold it this past January. That was an exciting time. But that was my theme. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. Join me as I go to our Lord and Savior in a word of prayer. Father, I come to you this morning. And Lord, you know my heart. 
this is not about me, as Brother Brett said earlier. God, this is all about you, so I, I humble myself before you. I'm not worthy to stand in this, your pulpit, but, Lord, you have called me. And, yes, I begrudgingly responded to be a pastor, to preach the good news. And so, Lord, right now I ask you to forgive me where I have failed you, Empty me of self, fill me to overflowing with your spirit, and hide me behind your cross. Lord, may my voice not be heard, but Lord, may you be heard this morning. May the words that come out of my mouth be your words and not mine. And may every heart here this morning be tendered to hear what you have to say to us. Let everyone who has entered into this building or is listening to this or viewing this Via technology, Lord, let them have put every distraction aside and let us come boldly and yet humbly before your throne to hear what you have to say to us this morning in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, just a brief glance at our world, and one can see that for the most part, everything and anything is now acceptable. We used to, we did away with cable years ago, and, and I was a Netflix person, and Netflix started this thing with these little girls twerking. I don't know if y'all know about that, but immediately I, I said, that's it. I canceled my subscription. Now I realize Netflix doesn't care about me. But when we start allowing soft porn to be videoed of little girls to be viewed across the globe, what have we become as a society? We've reached a point in our, our world where nothing is off limits. Honestly, I hate to make this statement, but I'm going to tell you, and you may not like what I say, it is our, the church's fault. We have stood by silently and allowed this to happen. We call ourselves the silent majority. We call ourselves the silent majority. We hear people cite this term separation of church and state using the First Amendment, which actually states Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion and instead of the government making laws regarding a government sanctioned religion, the courts and others actually have attempted to muzzle the church. The Supreme Court in 1962 said that school sanctioned prayer was forbidden. And I see people all the time say, that's the problem with the world because prayer's been taken out of school. Well, church, I'm going to tell you something. The church took prayer out of school, not the Supreme Court. Because what the Supreme Court says is that you can't have church sanction or rather school sanctioned prayer, but every Christian that's in the school system ought to be praying every day in the school system. There's nothing the Supreme Court says that says that teachers can't pray. There's nothing the Supreme Court says that says they can't have a Bible on their desk. There's nothing the Supreme Court says that teachers can't get together and pray before and after school and during school. But what we've done is we've lived this lie and pastors haven't stood up and taught their congregations of teachers that it is okay for them to pray and they ought to be praying. And the pastors ought to be going to the schools and saying, can I pray over you this morning? The church has failed not the government. And it's time that we stand up. We've seen the Ten Commandments removed 
from our government buildings and our schools. And our laws are, and here's the thing, our laws are mostly based upon them. We wouldn't have the laws we have today if we didn't have the Ten Commandments. Again, the church barely made a sound. Abortion was legalized. Where was the church? More babies are killed every day in this country than by any other way. And the church needs to be preaching about abortion and the sin of abortion. Now let me make something clear. I know the chances of somebody in this room of having had an abortion is pretty high because that's just statistics. God forgives all sins. God forgives all sins. And so I'm not angry at the person that's had the abortion. I'm angry at the church and myself for not making a loud shout that it's wrong. Then we said, there will never be same-sex marriage. Well, I'm here to tell you, I make no bones about it. It's wrong. God created two genders, male and female. That's it, period, end of story, okay? And marriage is not a government-sanctioned action. Marriage is a gift from God Almighty to his creation. God created it, so the Supreme Court has no say in it. And that's where I stand. And that's what I teach. And if they want to come and shut my doors and put me in jail, then come on. But as long as I'm pastoring, as long as God has called me to pastor, I'm going to preach what the Bible says from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And nothing's going to be left out. And sometimes it's not pretty. Sometimes, Debbie, my wife, will tell you, I come across like a two-edged sword. But church, I want to tell you right now, I don't know about you, but it's time for us to get up out of the pew, out from underneath the rock, and stand on the rock and make some noise and stand up for what God says is right. We see every day what is wrong and what is happening. I live 35 minutes from Disney World. And I'm going to tell you something. Everything is acceptable in Central Florida. Everything. You know what? When I was here in Louisiana, I had the opportunity to see how powerful the gospel is. I heard a former Muslim preach chapel at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He said 16 months prior, he would have taken an AK-47 and shot everybody in chapel and never thought twice about it because he hated Christians. He was caught, he was imprisoned, and while he was in prison as a Muslim, the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. He found a piece of the Bible in his cell, and he began to read it. And God came to him and shared the truth of who he was with him. And he said it changed him forever. Why is it today in places like Minnesota where we're having all these protests, is the church growing? Why is it they're baptizing people in the streets of where all this garbage is happening? Why is it in third world countries like Iran, like China, that we're seeing Pentecost every day, and yet right here in our area, in America, basically, the whole nation, we take God for granted. Why aren't we hungry for the truth of the gospel? Why? Well, let's look at what Paul says. 
All right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, in Paul's time, you see, he was preaching to, writing a letter to the church in Rome. And Rome was pretty much like America is today. Everything was acceptable. And Paul's preaching, writing to a group of so-called Christians. Why is he saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel to Christians? Because here's the truth of the matter. We as Christians need the gospel as much today as we needed it the day we got saved. It is the power of God for salvation and continued growth as the men and women and children of God. We need to hear the gospel every day in our lives. Jesus died for me. Jesus gave up everything for me. We need to hear that. We need to be reminded of that because what happens, think about it. You folks that are married, that have been married, Debbie and I will be married 42 years next month. This month. And we went through some seasons in our marriage where I took her for granted and she took me for granted. You can't take each other for granted and expect to have a healthy relationship. You can't take God and the gospel for granted and expect to have a healthy relationship. We need to be reminded every day of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about what my Jesus did for me, I get broken up. I am a wretched sinner, not worthy of what Christ did. Church, listen to me. This man went to a cross, but he was beaten to unrecognizableness beforehand. He would drag the cross as far as he could drag it. They put him on that piece of wood and they nailed him to it. What were his words on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Are we ashamed of that? As the church, are we ashamed of that? I'm not worthy of what he's done for me. I'm not worthy to stand in this pulpit. Every Sunday, I go to God. I'm sitting here as, as the music is being played, and I'm saying, God, why me? Forgive me of any sin that I might have in my life right now so that I am worthy to come in your pulpit and break the word that you have for this people. Because I'm not worthy. Paul says, I'm not one of eloquent speech. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Paul's much more eloquent than I'll ever be. But see, my Jesus means everything to me. Two Wednesdays ago... In our Bible study at church, I'm sharing with the small group that's there. And I'm saying, church, listen to me. Start praying right now that God will put people in your way that you can share the gospel with. But don't pray it if you don't mean it because you start praying that God will do it. Well, she, we're driving Debbie's vehicle. We stopped for gas because she needed gas because she could go to work the next morning. And I'm pumping the gas and the guy pulls up. And he's probably about 48, 50 years old. And he says, I hate to bother you, mister. He says, but I'm really down down on my luck. I need some gas. So I said, well, I've got to go inside because they won't take my card, and I'll just put, tell them to put some money on your pump as well. So he's like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Give me your number, and I'll repay you. I said, look, you want to repay me? I said, I pastor Connect Church about a mile down the road here. I said, come see us on a Sunday. I said, in fact, do you know Jesus? You see, God gave me an opportunity. He opened the door. That man and I weren't there by circumstance. We were there as an appointed time by the Holy Spirit. 
I get back in the truck after, after I got done pumping and talking to him. She says, I thought you were fixing to preach about an hour to that man. I said, I just let the Holy Spirit go. You see, I can't do what I'm doing because Debbie will tell you, the first couple times I preached, I sounded like about an 80-year-old woman. My voice octave went up about 10 degrees because I was scared to death. People say, you don't act like you're scared now. I says, oh, you don't know the butterflies in my stomach on Sunday mornings. Whoo, I had to stop it. <laughs> this is probably a little bit too personal. I had to stop at Walgreens down here and get me some Imodian this morning. My stomach was upset, okay? It was upset, church. I'm going to tell you because I was fearful, you know, because I don't belong up here as me. God called me to be his spokesman, so I have to rely on him or y'all be hearing my knees clacking. But you can't be afraid and ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. If it can save that terrorist Muslim, what can it do for you and your friends? And everybody in here, I guarantee you, everybody in here knows at least one person that doesn't know Jesus. You know at least one person that doesn't know Jesus. When was the last time you shared him? Seriously, when was the last time you shared Jesus with anybody? You see, that's not Pastor Brett's responsibility. He's not the pastor to be the only one to evangelize. Matthew 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, Pastor Brett and other pastors. Isn't that what it says? Mm -mm. It's talking to every Christian everywhere. Jesus, and listen to this, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. You don't get any more authoritative than that. And so he commands the church to go and make disciples. It means we have to evangelize the world and tell them about Jesus. Or we're telling the world we're ashamed of Jesus. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes the Jew first and then the Greek. You see, the Jews denied Christ, didn't they? Paul was a good Jew. And he wanted to see his people rise up and accept the, 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 the gift that God had given them to be the banner carrier of Christianity, but they refused him. So his passion was, since my people have refused my Lord, my other people, because remember, Paul was also a Roman citizen, the Greeks, the Gentiles. I want to take the gospel to them, and prayfully they will take up the mantle, and they will share it across the globe. This tells us that the gospel is for all people. All people. For those protesters out there in Oregon, the gospel's for them. For the Muslims in Iran that are beheading Christians, the gospel's for them. You see, church, our role is not to judge who should hear the gospel. Our role is simply to tell. And I love what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel says, and I'm going to paraphrase now, if you tell them and they hear, good for both of you. If you tell them and they don't hear, bad for them, good for you. But if you fail to tell them, their blood will be on you. That's what Ezekiel was told by God. And that's what God tells the church today. We've been given a gift. The gospel is the greatest gift there is. A gift that never stops giving. 
A gift that says, listen, there's more to come because we can't outgive God. We cannot outgive God. And the gift of the gospel is the most powerful thing. It supersedes all the nukes in the world. We serve a God that calmed the raging sea. We serve a God that separated a river, a sea. We serve a God that raised the dead. What has God done in your life? And if you say, well, pastor, I don't know. Well, maybe it's time for you to get on your knees and cry out to God and say, forgive me for living my life for me and not for you. I was excited, I think it was January, when you first contacted me, because before COVID, this was planned for May. And then COVID came, and we contacted each other and finally got together and says, we're going to do it on the 13th. And I asked Pastor Brad, I said, where's the church at? Is there sending message you want me to bring? And he says, no, just whatever the Holy Spirit lays on your heart. Well, I'm preaching through the book of Romans at our church right now. And I had preached the message on Romans 16, just the one verse, about a month ago. And it has just been on me and on me and on me. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I think everybody in the church today across the world needs to take that verse and we need to print it out. We need to put it in our cars. We need to put it on our mirrors in our bathrooms. We need to put it on our refrigerator. We need to put it in our wallets, on our smartphones, whatever you've got to remind us we are not ashamed of the gospel. How many of y'all this morning truly want to see revival right here? Well, guess where revival starts? Starts right here. It doesn't start by y'all opening your doors and having a quartet come or having some charismatic speaker. And I'm talking about me now, okay? Come. Because then here's what we're going to do. And, and, and I'm, I'm excited to listen to these four young men because I'm sure they're going to sing about the gospel. But how many of us respond for emotional sake and not because the Holy Spirit has tugged on our hearts. Now, I'm going to share something with you that I've had some, I've had some pretty deep theological conversations about. You did not go seeking Jesus, nor did you find him. He was never lost. He was never lost. Okay? He has pursued you. And at some point when you were ready, the Holy Spirit offered you an invitation and said, come, be a part of what we have going on, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. Come and accept Jesus as your Savior, and he will wash away all your sins. And you made a decision. You accepted that invitation, or you've denied it. And if you've accepted it, there was responsibility that came with it. I've heard pastors say, oh, just come accept Jesus and your life's going to be wonderful. Biggest lie ever told. Because everything I read in here, once you accept Jesus, whoo, Satan jumps all over you. We were talking earlier this morning. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Boy, I had that verse all wrong. 
Because what Paul really was saying is, listen, church, I'm in prison. Don't worry about me. Because the church in Philippi was worried about Paul. He says, not by my strength, but by the strength of God, I can endure this. Here's the other thing. Paul, I love Paul. I'm more of a Peter. I'm that doubter. And I stick my foot in my mouth a lot. But I love Paul. I want to be as bold as Paul. Paul realized as long as he was in prison, every time there was a guard change, he had a fresh person to share the gospel with. Every time there was a guard change, Paul says, all right, Holy Spirit, let's go, use me. And he began to share the gospel. We don't see church planning mentioned in the New Testament, or in the Bible for that matter. But Paul was the greatest church planner there was. And you know what he did? Paul just took what he had, the gospel. And whomever would listen, sometimes they didn't listen. Paul would say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus. I was walking on the road to Damascus. Me and God, I thought we had a great relationship. I was persecuting the way because they were wrong. They didn't know my God. But little did I know on that road to Damascus, Jesus himself came and had a divine meeting with me, and he blinded me. He blinded me and made me realize I am nothing on my own. I was totally helpless. And right then I realized I needed to rely on somebody bigger than me. Jesus invited me into that relationship and said, Paul, I can use you. And he said, so I accepted what Jesus offered. And I want to tell you something. He changed my life. Now, we know, we know anything about Paul. Paul was a godly man. He says, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He knew the Old Testament books that he had at the time. He had memorized them from a young age. And he thought he was doing what's right. Church, how many of us here this morning think we're doing what's right? Think because we come to Sunday morning service, we sit in the pew, we listen to a preacher preach, we put a little money in the offering plate. We're good people. But you don't know Jesus. You see, Debbie was raised Catholic. We met. I wasn't in the church at the time. I was saved when I was 13. But after about two years of really thinking that God wanted to use me, 13, 14 years old, I couldn't find an adult male that would mentor me. My dad was not a Christian. I thank my God, for my, my, my mom, for my, my relationship with my God. But I went to my pastor, and I said, I believe God's calling me into the ministry. He says, boy, how old are you? I said, 13. He says, you don't know what you're talking about. Come back when you're older. I went to a deacon in the church, told him the same thing. He told me the same thing. Went to high school. Started playing football, started chasing girls. I didn't need God, I needed Ed. God put Debbie in my life at the age of 21. She was 18. She was Catholic and I wasn't in church. And we got married after knowing each other for two months. Because there's something about that girl right there that God's, whoo, don't let that one get away. We got married in 1978. In 1995, My youngest daughter was born, and we had already had enough problems in our marriage that just were unbelievable. After my daughter was born, we were have, still having problems, and I was invited to a church service. I hadn't been in church in I don't know how long. I'd gone to Mass a couple times, but that wasn't for me. I felt like a jack-in-the-box. So I went to her, and I said, we've been invited to church. You want to go? She says, yeah, I'll go. So we went, and the pastor that morning preached 
at record speed. That man got in a, a two-hour sermon in 45 minutes. We left there, and I went, I, don't, I didn't catch a whole lot of what he said. You want to go back next Sunday? I had no idea what God was doing. She said, sure. We went back next Sunday, and I kind of learned how to listen to what he said. We filled out that visitor's card, which everybody's afraid to death to do because you know the pastor's going to come knocking. Sure enough, he come knocking Monday night, and uh, him and his wife sat on the floor of our living room. Sat on the floor. We're all sitting in chairs. I watched him share the gospel with my wife and my oldest daughter, and I watched them accept him. Watched them get baptized. I rededicated my life. I had no idea what God had in store for me. We started working for God. But I'm ashamed to say I wasn't the one that shared the gospel with my wife and my kids. Parents, listen to me. The greatest gift you have is that little one sitting next to you, other than your salvation. And it is your responsibility, not Brother Brett's, to train them up as Christian children. You have got to be the Christian parents because there's power in the gospel. You want your kids to grow up? That young man right there is my inspiration. If you ever hear him pray, Miss Ava can tell you, she's heard him, Mr. Junior can tell you, he's got a relationship with Jesus that I, I, I envy. He's got a Bible, and he doesn't read real well. He recognizes some words, but I've gotten up at 3 o'clock in the morning and found his light on, and he's sitting in his bed with his Bible, and he's crying out to Jesus like you've never seen anybody cry out to Jesus. I don't take any credit for that. I give all the credit to God. But we have got to train our children because the streets of the world want to gobble them up. In my career in law enforcement, I finished it up four years as Crimes Against Children Supervisor. I supervised eight detectives, and we investigated every crime in the county that had to do with children victims. I saw the worst of the worst of people. God used that time in my life to share the gospel with many people. And I think that's why I fought him for so long, is because God was using me in an unbelievable way with broken people. We live in a broken world. Jesus is coming back. He doesn't want any to perish. I became a pastor, honestly, only because I knew that's what God wanted me to do. I had no clue what he had in store for me. And I rely on, on him and his strength. I think about Abraham as Abram when God called him and said go didn't tell him where he was going and Abram picked up everything and he just went it's time for us to have that kind of faith with the knowledge that the gospel is so powerful listen to me I'm not fearful of what's happening in our world because my God is still on the throne he's still in control and if you don't think the church can prosper under persecution just look at third world countries the church has prospered more when it's been persecuted than any other time in history. People don't like it when I say bring on the persecution because we don't like to be uncomfortable, do we? But you know what I like to see? I like to see men and women and children who you've never seen get excited about God before start saying, I have nowhere else to turn but God. 
I have nowhere else to go. Everything else has been taken away from me. Everything else is done. I have nowhere else to turn. So I'm relying on the gospel. I'm relying on the power of God. Let me tell you something. They grow exponentially. They grow. I'm going to finish up with this right here. There was a Korean pastor that took a team to the Middle East, a Muslim country, several years back. They went there to be missionaries, short-term missions. While they were there, they got arrested. They got thrown into prison. They spent two years in prison. They were threatened with death. They were beaten. They were starved. They were finally released. The pastor had an interview with a news agency about two or three months after he got back to South Korea. She says, can you share with me what you, what you experienced as far as the most you gained from your experience while being imprisoned? And he looked at her with a very straight face and a tear came to his eye. He says, let me tell you what I experienced. I would take being imprisoned right now over living here in this country as free as I am any day of the week. Because while I was in prison, I had nobody and nothing to rely on but God. My relationship with God grew exponentially in those two years while I was in prison. Let us not be a people that have to be persecuted or imprisoned before we begin to seek God with all we have. Let us not be a people, a church, that need to be persecuted before we realize the power of the gospel and what it can do in your life and others' lives. Let us not be a people that hide under the rock when all this turmoil happens, but instead stands on that rock. And while maybe this vial contained Gatorade, listen to me, you can't cork God. You can't put a cork in him and sit him on a shelf and expect him to work in your life. You need the church, and the church needs you. John F. Kennedy said many years ago, it's not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And church, it's not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church and the kingdom. Everyone in here has been given a gift. Every one of you. If you know Jesus, don't hide that gift. Don't keep that gift to yourself. You were given it for your brothers and sisters in Christ and for the world. Become that flower. Become that spokesman. Blossom into that beautiful bouquet that God wants you to be as the church. Because, Brother Brett, none of you church leaders can do it by yourselves. I cherish my church prayers. And I feel them. I know when they're praying. And I know when they're not. And I'm going to tell you something. You say, we're small. Jesus took 12 men and one of them betrayed them. And he changed the world. What can this group right here do in Tangibahoa Parish? What can this group right here do in a 50-mile radius of this little building? You can change the world. I have a dream. No, I'm not going to quote Martin Luther's speech. Our church, our, our, the town we live in, 
It's 40 miles from Tampa, 40 mile, 30 miles from Orlando, 35 miles from Orlando. I-4, which is a lot like I-12, okay? It runs three miles, six miles north of the church building. How many of y'all remember when you were young, when the new cars came out or when a new movie came to the theater, they put those searchlights up? And you're sitting there and you're tugging on mama, you're tugging on daddy, let's go find out what's going on. And sure enough, you drive up, but you only know where the church light or the searchlights are coming from because you follow it in the sky. I have a dream for our church that we become one with the Holy Spirit so profoundly that there's something that pulls people off of I-4 and says, I don't know what's happening wherever this is happening. But I sense I need to go. And they find a group of people that are so in love with God, so enamored with God. Have you ever met one of those people that you just know that you know they know Jesus because they glow? We all should be like that. We all should have faces like Moses because my God lives in here. He's part of me and I'm part of him. And so everybody I meet, I want, to know, I want them to know, I live for Jesus. There was a song that went, I want to be mistaken for Jesus. I want people to see him in me. I would encourage you to adopt my prayer. When I wake up and go into the bathroom, I look in the mirror. And I say, God, there's too much of me showing John 3.30 says, I must decrease so that he can increase. Lord, when I look in this mirror, I want to see you. I want to see more of you. Hide me behind that cross and let me see you. And when I go to bed at night, I look in the mirror again before I go to the bed. And I say, God, thank you. Thank you for not giving up on me, a wretched sinner. Tomorrow morning when I wake up, let me see more of you. And put people in my place tomorrow that I can share you with. Because you're our only hope. You're our only hope. If you're here this morning, maybe you already know God. You've, you've had that invitation by the Holy Spirit. He's called you. You've responded in a way. But, but whatever's going on in your life, the entanglements, the, the COVID-19 finances, relationships or whatever you've just kind of put God to the side well this morning why not just cry out to him right where you're at why not just cry out to him right where you're at and say God forgive me for putting me first this morning I make a commitment to you God to put you first in everything I do I'm going to use my gift to, to glorify your kingdom to build up my brothers and sisters in Christ maybe you're here this morning and I'll be honest with you, it's not, it wouldn't be the first time it happened, but you believe you're a Christian because you walked an aisle and somebody had you repeat a prayer. But you yourself have really never repented and asked God for forgiveness. And yeah, for some of us, it can be a humbling experience. Because see, the Bible says you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and repent. And so this morning, while you've been playing the game of a Christian, you've come to realize that you, you know about Jesus, but you don't know him. So this morning, why not just ask Jesus into your heart and say, God, forgive me 
today starts a new day. Today is the day that I really become part of you and you really become part of me. Or maybe you've never done any of that. Maybe today's the first time you've heard the gospel that Jesus died for you. He gave up perfection, paradise in heaven to come down here to this wretched world to be one of us, to suffer everything and anything we could suffer, to know all the pain that any human could ever know and more. But he looked down upon the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He cried out to Telestai, it is finished. I am the last sacrifice. He took his last breath and he died. But here's the best part of the gospel message. He resurrected. He's alive and he's promised to come back. He's promised to come back. And he wants you to spend eternity with him. If you're here this morning and you never expected, accepted Jesus, why not this morning? I'm going to ask Miss Carolyn to play a song. I'm going to ask us to stand and here's what I want you to do. I just want you to stand there and bow your heads. And examine your life. Are you where you need to be with Jesus right in this moment? I'm not one of those ones that's a fear monger. Oh, you may walk out the door and get run over. God knows when your last breath's going to be taken. But here's the thing. You don't. And I know I want to be right with God. And I have to ask him to forgive me every day. My Jesus is great. I love him. I love him honestly more than I love my wife. And I love her, whoa, more than y'all ever know. Here's the truth, though. My love for Christ pales in comparison to his love for me and his love for you. He loves you enough to have died for you. And he's alive today with his arms stretched out wide saying, come home. This is homecoming. Come home. Don't come home to Chesbro Baptist Church. Come home to Jesus. Come home to Jesus. Say that with me. Come home to Jesus. Come home to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for you impressing upon them to give me a chance. A man who really had no business being your spokesman but you called me and i'm so, so thankful for that now father i thank you for this morning for the music that we've heard for the music we will hear i thank you for the message of paul because the gospel is powerful it's the most powerful thing in the world and we thank you for that if there is one here that needs to make any decision no matter what it is holy spirit impress upon them that you're real that you will forgive us of anything and everything, that you love us in ways that we will never imagine or understand. And Father, once we submit to you and we give our lives totally over all control and we pray, use me, O oh God, you will answer that prayer in a way that will blow us away. So God, this morning I thank you and I ask, 
that you humble each and every one of us. Bless this church, this congregation. Use it in a mighty way.